Welcome along to the Drop the Label podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. Labels are all around us. We use them freely and often without thought. This podcast is an exploration of various labels discussed with various guests from different perspectives. We want to get people thinking about labels in their simplest form so that they adopt those that serve their higher self and drop those labels that hold them back in life. Thank you for listening. Will you drop the label? This podcast is brought to you by RT Fitness Durham and Sunderland, home of Team Carnage and the Barbell Club. We are the North East's premier transformation facility, taking you from absolute beginner to photoshoot ready. You just got to do the work. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at the Barbell Club or RT Fitness Durham and Sunderland or over on our website www.rtfitness.uk. Today we have Melissa Dunkeld on the Drop the Label podcast. Melissa's been with RT Fitness for a number of years now and we discuss the label Disabled, given the fact she's an amputee. We talk women in tech, being clever, and then we talked mental health to the extent of attempted suicide, what that meant and how it felt both then and now. From it's okay not to be okay, to it's actually all right to be fine. You don't have to put a label on every emotion. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Drop the Label podcast. Today I've got the lovely Melissa. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Melissa. I'm a data scientist in the tech industry. Uh, been coming to RT for ooh, three and a half years now. What, 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 is, uh, what is your role? Like, what is it? Um, so I help people make insights out of data and I build machine learning models to prevent gambling harm. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Excellent. So I'm going to approach this, the start of this podcast a little bit differently because I usually ask, you know, what labels mean to you. Um, but we've already discussed the fact that we're going to talk about the label disabled. Um, but first, I'd like you to just tell us a little bit, um, for those who are listening, um, Melissa is an amputee. Um, do you want to tell us a bit of background about, you know, what happened there and, and, and how it came about? Uh, yeah, so um, when I was born, I was born with a condition called clubfoot, which is kind of like my feet are like curled up a bit and not straight. Um, and then I had some surgery when I was little and then had some further surgery when I turned 18. Um, unfortunately, that didn't work and the metal work never fused to my bone. So I um, walked around for five years with a broken foot right. with a moon boot on, which was delightful. Um, and then asked for it to be amputated. Um, and yeah, never looked back since really. Right. The best decision I've ever made. Right, okay. It, it's good to hear that obviously it was a decision made. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering if that's obviously affected how you've then dealt with it. Um, so when you applied for the gym, you never used the word disabled. Um, and I couldn't for the life of us remember how you actually got around it. But obviously I've just chatted to you there before we started. And it was, um, you did obviously mention the fact that you were an amputee. But interestingly, you said, that it was more for us to be aware of it so that we knew in advance of you coming in. Um, I find it interesting the fact that you don't use the word disabled and I don't know whether you've noticed, but in the three and a half years that you've been with us, like I've never said it. Mm. And I think it's because I don't view you as disabled, if that makes sense. But I think maybe that's because of the fact that you never ever say that, ever. Um, so what's your thoughts on the label disabled? Um, 
Yeah, so I think from my perspective, I would say I was disabled before my amputation. So I was on a lot of painkillers and a lot of drugs and I couldn't really do anything. I couldn't really live a life. And mm -hmm. then after the amputation, I got my life back. I wasn't on painkillers. I wasn't having to sleep 23 hours a day because I was that drugged up. So I think having the amputation has kind of given me my life back. So mm -hmm. therefore, I'm not disabled because it was worse before. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... How do you feel, like, do you ever get referred to as disabled? I know I've just said we, in the gym, never never refer to you in that way, but are you referred to in that way outside of, of the gym? Um, sometimes, and I think sometimes people come up to me in the street if I've got my shorts on and, uh, like, say they're so sorry for me, which is a bit of a weird thing to come up to do to someone that you don't know. Right. Um, and I find that quite uncomfortable because I'm not sorry for me. Uh-huh. So how do you respond to that then? I just say thanks and move on because there's no point having an argument with a stranger in the street, but it is funny that people come up to you and apologise for your situation when yeah. my, my situation is better than it was. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I, th I suppose, in a way, when I was saying before I, I, I don't call you disabled, it's because of the fact that you never use it to describe yourself. And it was always one of those situations where it was like, you never draw attention to it. You always try everything in the gym. Um, and if you can't do it, you just move on to something else. It's, it's yeah. never something that stops you. You never, ever use it. Like, you know, when someone sometimes will, will have something like, I've, they've got a bit of a niggle in the knee or something like that, and they're like, oh, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. And it becomes like a bit of a headache. You've never once ever been like that. You've always worked around it which I always find obviously admirable, but interesting at the same time. <laughs> um, so, I mean, obviously you've said that it, it's given you your life back. What's the differentiation for you? Um, I think just that, like, I can do it. Like, now I can kind of do anything because I've got, like, that mental clarity that I didn't have when I was on the... Uh, when I was on painkillers, I didn't have that. And also, I was in that much pain that... Even a few steps was so painful that I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. So now I don't have that. So now I just want to live and do everything that I can do to have mm -hmm. a good life. So do you think it makes you more driven to do more and try more rather than sort of sit back on it and go, oh, I can't do that because of this? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think um, it just made me care about my health more as well because I had essentially had my health taken away from me mm -hmm. so now I want to look after my health yeah because I suppose it wasn't just wasn't just your, your leg it was the fact that you were on so many painkillers yeah that can't have been um nice for you interesting I was in thank you for discussing <laughs> that with us because I did I wanted it wanted to chat about that um because I've always found it intriguing um but yeah it's a good good to hear that you've got that positivity and you're not letting it hold you back on anything so moving on then um what I'll, I'll ask the question that I normally ask at the beginning of the podcast what do labels mean to you um I think it depends on who's putting them on you so if you're putting them on yourself it could be quite negative and I think I've got the tendency to be quite harsh about myself mm -hmm. whereas I think other people um talk about me in a much nicer with than I do so I think my own labels are probably harsher than 
other people's labels of myself. Right. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. I'm just quite critical of myself, and I always feel like I should be doing better. And, what, and I think that's because I want to do better. So. Right. Okay. That's an interesting one as well, because it's the desire to want to do better. Do you think that makes most people hyper self-critical? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Is there any particular labels that mean a lot to you? Um, or, or a particularly sort of apt? I think I had an experience last week with um, someone at work who I introduced myself on a work call and explained what I did and then there were then my boss jumped in and like really sold me up about how clever I was and stuff and I think being clever does um, like the label clever does mean a lot to me and right. I think that's because I was very I was very much pushed academically mm -hmm. as a kid when I was at school um, by my mum and my grandma and like education was very much seen as a way to better myself and move forward in life so I think and cleverness is kind of associated with that isn't it so I think mm -hmm. that label probably does mean more right and is that because it's sort of um you taking pride in the fact that you are clever but also doing right by your mum and your grandma for pushing you in that direction as well yeah probably probably both right excellent good stuff what do you think clever as a label opens up for you? Um, I think it's given me more probably opportunities. And I think if you think back to like set in school, that like I think if you were saying like, so I was in the top set of maths, yeah, um, but I struggled with English, mm -hmm. I think. People who were in the bottom set, like my friends who were in the bottom set of maths, they were like, well, I'll never be able to do that. And I was like, well, I'll be able to do that. Whereas, like, with English, like, an achievement in English, though, meant more to me because it wasn't my natural gift. Yeah. So, but I think it does open doors and it does make you have more opportunities from it. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So when we were talking before, um, I mean, you, you, you've touched on it there, um, that you work in tech. And you said that you'd, you'd quite like to discuss um, being a woman in tech. I'm not entirely sure what the label would be there, aside from you know a woman in a in a male-dominated industry. Um, but yeah, do you want to tell me a bit about that? Yeah, I think that is it. So I think um, it's kind of. I mean, I think that's shifting now. But I think even when I first started five years ago, I was very much in very male-dominated teams in my role, um, and I think being a woman in tech you kind of it was um a bit more of a rarity it's less so now and i've kind of moved into more female oriented teams the past year but it is hard and it is like you are you do feel the pressure to achieve more mm -hmm. because you've proven a point not just for you yeah that women can do this job and be good at it and like leading as an example of like getting other women and girls down that route that has been traditionally very male oriented. Mm -hmm. I think you get that in a lot of industries, don't you? I know yeah. me mum actually was involved in some sort of article recently um, and it was about the whole 
pushing females into, well, not pushing, but trying to explain to women that they can do different roles, even if they are typically male oriented. Like my mum's an engineer. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously she feels quite strongly about the fact that it is massively male dominant. I think she was saying she, she very rarely has women, like or young ladies do the programme and um, do the course that she runs. Um, and I mean, I think there was only her and one other when she actually studied it as well. Um, but this article was talking about women in various industries and I think there was like IT and engineering. I mean, one of them was PT, which I thought, eh, that's a bit backwards. I, I see it massively like... Yeah, I would say it's like, a, well, that's I, probably a lot, one that I do see a lot of more females, particularly it, recently as well. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think... Um, I don't know, having a, a female PT in that article was like, eh, that was like 10 years ago when it was primarily males. Um, but yeah, I mean, what do you think, being a female in the tech industry, what kind of barriers, have you had any barriers to face with that or? Um, I don't know whether I've had any barriers, but I've definitely been aware of the gender differences in that, like, around feelings and emotions, like, and being more sensitive than the boys, I think, about some things. And, like, and I don't know whether that's because I'm quite hypercritical on myself, so then that displays it. But it does feel like if, like, I got upset about something, I'm very conscious that around the boys, mm -hmm. it would be a woman. It right. would be because I was a woman, not because of what they've said or mm -hmm. how they've acted. Yeah. It's... It's that, and then like trying to move up, like above me previously, it was all men. Right. So that's quite hard because you're not seeing an example of that it could be you. Yeah. You know yeah. So if there was more women in a in a senior role of yours, you might be seeing, be able to say what you could achieve yeah. if you kept pushing forwards. So do, yourself being a, do you see yourself being able to move up? Like, are there, because you said previously, is there any um, females in, in superior roles now? I think so, yeah. So um, kind of like my two bosses are both female and then their boss, who oversees both of them, would be is a female. So I think it does, is starting to change. And I think it's quite nice seeing that um, like one of them has, one of my direct bosses kind of has a kid, has kids and then the other one, doesn't want kids, so it's kind of nice seeing that difference as well. Like, mm -hmm. And there's no difference in where they are in their career. Yeah, okay, so then obviously that must spur you on to say, well, it doesn't matter what life choices yeah. I make personally, professionally, I can still achieve X, Y, or Z. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what other elements of being a female in the tech industry would you like to talk about? Um, I think that was probably about the most thing, but I think it is just about like kind of the numbers. I think like you do see like I think in schools you do see um, like people dropping off the like STEM subjects, like mm -hmm. like what your mum would do for engineering or what I do in like maths and technology. Kind of do see that dropping off. So I think it is kind of because there's not wasn't always that example of female. So I think it's kind of just about in a visible. Mm -hmm. So what do you do you purely think that that is based on the fact that there wasn't as many females in the industry that's why there's a drop off 
or do you think there's other factors in that? Um, I think it might be the self-conscious element of girls as well, like when you're younger. I think boys have a bit more bravado than right. girls when they're younger um, and the cockiness to go with it and I think that does carry them through work a bit as well. Right. So there's like that old adage of a man would go for a job that they're 80% qualified for, whereas a woman would only go if they're 100% qualified for. Right. I've never heard that one before. So, kind of, where does that bravado, where does that bravado of being thinking that, oh, I can't do all of it, but I can do it, whereas I have to be able to do all of it, come from? Mm-hmm. Where do you think it comes from? Um, I think it might come from school, and I think just, like, the... Com confidence and I think like traditionally I think boys were seen more in those roles and like pushed more academically because the girl was the housewife and I think even though that's a long time ago mm -hmm. it's still somewhere inside the psyche of oh well boys are expected to do science and maths and girls are expected to do English and that. Right. I think there's somewhere somewhere that it's in the psyche of people. That's quite an interesting one, because I never experienced that at school. Um, no, I'm just trying to think. I don't think I did. I think I was pushed across the board. Uh, teachers were just, they were there to teach, and, and, and I, I don't know, I never felt like the, the teachers necessarily saw gender. I was encouraged to do more of the humanities than the maths, even though maths was my natural talent. Right because I'm not very good at uh, like writing and like English. Mm -hmm. So I was, but I had an interest in those subjects, so I was pushed more into that mm -hmm. avenue. It would be interesting actually to go into schools now and see what the crack is, because I know there's massive variation of subjects compared to when I was at school. I mean, you're younger than me as well, aren't you? Um, but there's the, the, the social studies and there's the, um, hospitality and all the rest of it now as well, isn't it? It'd be interesting to see what the split is, male, female, and whether there is any sort of pushing in any direction from, from the actual teachers themselves, or whether it's the kids actually make that choice for themselves mm -hmm. of wanting to be in that particular industry. I don't know whether it's how much your friends do as well. Yeah. So, do you know what I mean? So if you've got one lady who wants to do something and then the rest of them just follow. Yeah. So like I did, um, I had to do a technology, so I did textiles, because I didn't really want to do a technology, so I just did what my friends did. Right. Um, there was two boys in my textiles class. Yeah. And I don't think there was any in like the woodwork or tech or DT class. What, the girls? The girls. Yeah. So, I don't think I chose either of those, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, we had to, so... Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, no, we didn't have to. But that's, that's following the agenda stereotype, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It is quite interesting, that. I, I'd be interested to know what those two lads did with textiles. I don't think they've gone out to use it. But no, but it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that was immediately my thought, like, ooh, lads choosing textiles. Like, it seems a bit mm. weird to me. Like, not weird, but I weird. Weird, the right word. <laughs> I'll get wrong for saying stuff like that. But no, you know what I mean. Yeah. Though it's not, it's not typical. You expect the lads to want to go into the woodwork and and that chisel things for an hour, even if it... <laughs> stop laughing at us. 
<laughs> um, like even if they they didn't want to go into any kind of handy job, mm. just seems to be like something lads want to do, isn't it? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. So, did your parents ever sort of push you down any particular route? When you're talking about academia, that, that you know they wanted you to do well and things like that, but did they ever sort of push you down a route? No, uh, I think my mum just very much was about wanting me to be happy, mm -hmm. and just doing what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I think they pushed me down the university route, mm -hmm. which I think probably was the right decision for me. Um, but I think they never pushed me into a subject. Right. It was just do what you want to do. Like, as, particularly as I got older, do what you want to do because you're interested in it and then you'll do better in it. Yeah, yeah. We have this conversation with Jake. Obviously, he's just had to put in for his options. And where you said before about how you kind of go with what your mates are doing. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, a big presentation at the school about the topics and one of the things that they kept repeating was don't just choose a subject because your mates are doing it because at the end of the day whatever you choose now could affect what you're doing later life yeah. and it was one of those things where we sat down and we talked about the subjects and I mean to be fair there isn't actually even though they call it options in, in choosing your life path I think you only actually get the choice of like two subjects across the board the rest of them are sort of you have to do them and we were like, well, what do you want to do? And there was like the thought process and it's like, well, you need to think about what you enjoy doing and what you can see yourself doing in the future as well. Um, like that you could actually physically make a living off. And he started like to really think about it and, and decided for himself, but obviously, you know, Ross in particular looking all like, what are you doing? Oh, don't choose that one. But it is, it's one of those where you've got to let them choose for themselves and, and, and decide what they want to do. I've seen uh, friends whose parents picked their options and it go badly because they weren't interested in the subject. Mm -hmm. So therefore they didn't turn up to school. Oh, really? And just, it's a, that, that was a waste of their, like... Time at school. Time, time and intelligence of like what they could have done if they picked something that they wanted to do yeah but the parents were so set on right that path for them that they couldn't see anything else yeah what did they go on to do afterwards then um so they went on to do like an apprenticeship but they could have just done an apprenticeship instead of doing a levels and kind of it's just a way being a waste of time and they have found the path mm -hmm. eventually and i think there is a thing about like Particularly like with my friendship group and I've seen it with me, like you don't have to know what you want to do all the time. And it can change and you can swerve. So like some of my friends have been teachers and now they're leaving the profession to do something else. So some of them have gone into teaching. Mm -hmm. Like ten years after we've finished uni and it's like we didn't see that coming. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I think it is a you're not fixed on a path, which I think I think it's one of those things, sometimes it's quite scary and I think it's quite scary to think that we make those decisions when we're quite young as well. Yeah. Say someone wants to be a doctor, the amount of years that go into studying to be a doctor for them to then become a doctor after however many years it is, lots, <laughs> and say, I'm not happy doing this. Mm -hmm. It's to think of, as a percentage of your life, 
how much time's gone into being to, to train and to be something to end up not using it. Yeah, I think sometimes you don't know what the reality is until you're living it. Oh yeah, 100%. But it is, it, it's scary to think we make those decisions so young. And I think back to like me being that age and I think, yeah, I can't believe like what I was deciding to do. I wanted to be a dentist. Really? That's a weird one. <laughs> oh, I really enjoy going to the dentist. I'm quite a, a weirdo like that. But it was one of those where I wasn't very strong in chemistry and physics. Right. So I had a, a, a tutor to do chemistry and physics. And then I fucked up my biology exam. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was kind of one of those things where it happened. And it was like, actually, do you know what? If I was a dentist now, I think I'd cry. Like, I genuinely would cry. So I'm, I'm pleased that that kind of happened. But um, it could have been a lot of years wasted, in a sense. So throughout your life, have you encountered any other labels? Um, that have either been given to you by other people or you've given to yourself, which has either held you back or sort of driven you forwards? Um, I think I've been aware I've been working class. Right. So I, I wouldn't say I'm working class now, based on the job I've, I do. Mm -hmm my life but my parents are working class mm -hmm. and what they do so my dad used to be a bin man right um and the people who i went to uni with particularly um they were all posh to me right like um so like some of their dads were like quite high up in the raf um so i went out with someone whose dad was head of a university right um like they all, all their parents seem to have quite high flying jobs to me. Um, and I think that pushed me on though. Right. Because I think I wanted to break the stereotype of what they had, of yeah. what a working class person was. Mm -hmm. um, of, well, we're at the same university doing very similar degrees. I can achieve just as much as you. Yeah. It's mad that because I think there is that thought process sometimes and, and people will say, well, if, you, if you're of a particular class, you'll stay there. Mm. Like if your parents did that, that's what you'll tend to follow. And it's sort of where it's, you know, when you have like the nature versus nurture mm. debate and it's monkey say, monkey do. Yeah. Um, and I think I've, I've seen that um, where my dad's from. Right. Like a lot of like his friends' kids don't seem to have driving ambition they mm -hmm. seem to just be like this is where i'm from this is what, what i'll do and like it, it's just like carbon copies of mm -hmm. their parents but i think do you I think th that's a limiting belief i think so yeah i think do you think it's like a well because you look up to your parents and you sort of see your parents doing doing those jobs and, and in that environment and you think well if you could get out of it they would have got out of it so that sort of limits your belief to thinking that you're going to achieve more? Yeah, I think so. I think um, it also, though, it depends on what your parents believe. So I think my mum very much believed that I could go to university and could do, achieve whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I did. Yeah. And I would say, like, being working class, 
did pay off to my advantage for going to university, so I got a scholarship and I got reduced grades to go to Newcastle Uni. Right. Because uh, my parents hadn't been to uni, lived in a low-income postcode. Yeah. So I, like, got bumped up to go to Newcastle mm -hmm. because I was working class to try and build a diversity quota of yeah. local students. But It's mad how you talk about the diversity quota there. Isn't it? it? Do you not think that the diversity court has put on so many different things now? I mean, I think it's good in education. I think it's a huge thing in education. I think you've got to give everyone the same platform to be able to, to move on and progress. Um, but then there's other areas where the, the diversity thing comes into question and you think, mm, it's just potentially running a risk of, of a job not being done right because we want to give everyone equal opportunities. Yeah, maybe. So I think um, we've, we've had this discussion at work about if a woman got a job over a man because she was a woman to try and promote that. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think the woman would do a bad job at it, even though she might be slightly less qualified. Yeah. I think it's about the person and their qualities as a mm -hmm. person and drive to do something rather than your ability. Like, you can be the cleverest person on, in the world, but you can be lazy at your job. Yeah. Or you can be not as gifted, but have the drive and the push to keep going and bettering yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a better quality to have than just having the qualification to do your job. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I have seen. I'm sure it was. Um, I can't even. I can't remember which one it was. You know, one of these high flyers said that their uh, heart oh, might have even been Bill Gates, and I know he's one of these people that not a lot of people like. Um, he said that lazy people make good employees. I don't know the logic behind that. So what do you think? It, so it's um, about like you'll do the job the quickest, the fastest way possible because you don't want to spend the time and effort to do to do it. So if you're so therefore you're improving it because you don't want to spend time and effort doing it, so you'll get Ah, right, okay. I get it now. That makes sense. But it was I thought it was I thought it was quite an interesting take. Definitely. So it's like you'll automate stuff because you don't want to personally do it. But then are you really lazy? No, you're probably not, but I guess if compared to the person who's spending 40 hours a week doing X and you spent two hours because you spent the time to automate it, mm -hmm. the time on a timesheet mm -hmm. would look like you're lazy compared to yeah. the person. But you're probably not, no. You're just using your time better. Efficient yeah. rather than lazy. Yeah. Is there any other topics you'd like to talk about? I know you mentioned um, when we were talking about you coming on the podcast, um, about sort of mental health labels. Um, is there a particular mental health label um, that you associate with yourself or would feel strongly enough about to talk about? Um, yes, I think there's probably like perception of people that you're crazy when you've got mental health issues. Right. Um, so I've had my mental health dismissed quite a bit by people and not, it's not being taken seriously, even within the family. Right. And I've really struggled with my mental particularly when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, so you won't even know this, but I tried to commit suicide when I was 16. 
Right. Um, because there was a whole host of stuff going on at home and I didn't have coping mechanisms and the ability to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And that, and it was just brushed under the carpet by mm-hmm. people. And I think that's probably been detrimental of, oh, Melissa's just going through an issue. That's well, quite a big issue. Right. Fucking hell, Melissa. Like, <laughs> Jesus, talk about chucking a grenade in there. No, that is the first time, that's the first time you've mentioned that. Um, do you feel like that was a point at which you'd got to because everything had been dismissed up to that point? Yeah, I think in, like, just not addressed and mm-hmm. talked about. Um, like, uh, my mum and dad have quite a, had a rocky marriage, um, a lot of domestic abuse, a lot of shouting, a lot of tension. And I just had to go to school and kind of pretend everything was fine and kind of that living up that pretense that you're fine mm-hmm. eventually just got to me, I think. Right. So what was the thought process that you went through at that moment in your life to, to go that far? I think it wasn't that I necessarily wanted to die. I was just wanting to stop and just stop feeling, I think, for a bit. Right. And that was what the actions that I took. It wasn't this the smart action or the sensible action. Mm-hmm. But I think given that I didn't know you could go and talk to someone or you could go and take tablets mm-hmm. to feel better, mm-hmm. that it, it was never mental health particularly, like it's quite widely discussed now. Yeah. But 14 years ago, it wasn't. It, mm-hmm. wasn't, a, it wasn't a thing, was it? it? It's so much as yeah. it is now. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's some aspects of now that I think, oh, you're really lucky, but then there's the other aspect now, I think, where you've got a mental health condition, you've got anxiety because you're a bit nervous because you've got to stand up and do a presentation. Well, no, you don't have anxiety. Right. You're nervous. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind, of, it's kind of gone the other way in a lot yeah, of respects, hasn't think, it? I think, I think it's good that we're talking about it and you can be aware and there's you signposted to things. Yeah. And pe- I think parents are more aware and general awareness of it but I do think like we're then trying to put a diagnosis or a label on people on day-to-day shit on, yeah that we have to deal with yeah yeah and that a lot of people well, most people fail at some point in their life through going through something yeah like giving a presentation at work or something that just generally makes you nervous what I found interesting there about what you said was it wasn't that you wanted to it wasn't that you wanted to end your life. It was the fact that you wanted to stop failing. Mm-hmm. How many times do you think that that's been the situation where it's not that someone's necessarily wanted th- to end the life that they have literally, it's been more of a failing thing. And then it's now, there's more things in place for people to actually go and seek help uh, to th- overcome those failings. I, th- I think, yeah, I think that would be probably the most things. So like even like, that was 14 years ago, like I've had flare-ups where I've had those feelings kind of come back and I'm now able to be like, you don't, you just want to like, not be going through whatever you're going through. And then you've also kind of got to have a, like a strict chat with yourself of, it gets better, you've seen it get better. Mm-hmm. It, like, and it's hard in the moment when you're feeling that way, but you've just got to kind of like, be like, You've seen yourself get better. It is going to get better. You're not stuck. Mm-hmm. So just keep going for a bit. 
Yeah. How did you overcome that? Um, initially. By, so I went and got help, um, but I also, it was around the same time that I moved out of home to go to uni, so I was kind of removing myself from a bit of that. The environment. The, the environment and attention. Mm -hmm. And I think your environment's probably, taking yourself out of the environment is probably the best thing. For me, anyway, because mm -hmm. I think mine wasn't necessarily the chemical imbalance of depression or anxiety. Yeah. It was the situation. Mm -hmm. I think that's applicable to a lot of things, isn't it? Yeah. Taking yourself out of, out of a situation or the environment. Because I think a lot of people get trapped in an environment or trapped within a certain a circle of friends. Yeah. I'm going to invert commas friends because how can they be sometimes? Um. And it is about removing yourself from, from that. What do you think would have happened had you not been taken out of the situation and out of the environment? Like, did your parents start to listen to you at that point? Um, my mum did. Um, I think she also started to realise that she wasn't feeling great in that environment too. So right. she was becoming aware of her own feelings. Mm -hmm. So I think... She did, but the environment wasn't going to change. Yeah. That that was kind of fixed at that point. Right. So. Why is that? Uh, my mum just wasn't ready to get out of her marriage. Right. So that environment was never going to change until she made that change. I can't. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the start of the conversation about mental health, you were talking about how people label you as crazy. Mm. I, there's nothing wrong with you just other than you're crazy mm. how did that feel yeah yeah it didn't help like it would make made me feel worse i think because it kind of dismissed what i was going through and what you're feeling i think you never know what somebody's feeling or how they're going to feel like mm -hmm. two things could happen to the exact the exact same thing could happen to two people and how they both feel about it is very different. Mm -hmm. I think you should always be aware of that because, and that's, partic that's particularly made me, like my experience have particularly made me feel aware of that because I think sometimes you feel like you should be tough or you should be X, but mm -hmm. you also don't know what other things are going on. Yeah. So. Do you think that the word crazy sometimes given to people who are struggling with something and do you think that sometimes sends them further down that path of, well, they think I'm a little bit crazy, so I'm going to be crazy? I think so, yeah. I think um, it can be, like, the reason why they don't get help because they don't think they're going to get help because they've been dismissed. Because mm -hmm. it is quite dismissive calling someone crazy. Mm -hmm. I think if you latch onto that, oh, uh -huh. I'm crazy as well, Yeah. and you start thinking well what what is wrong with us am i crazy do you know what i mean yeah. it's um i've never thought of the word crazy that much but it is actually quite a like i i always refer to crazy like i'm having a crazy night mm. like, it was proper nuts um i don't think i've ever called someone nuts or crazy because that way it sound it doesn't sound nice no no definitely not so what would your advice be to someone in that situation? 
someone who'd been labelled as crazy? Um, that the people you're talking to you probably aren't worth worth it. Mm -hmm. They're not good for you. So kind of change your environment. Mm -hmm. Like find someone who's better for you. Find someone who can get you out of it. So did your parents ever call you crazy? Um, no, I don't. Not to my face. I don't know if they did. Privately. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably must have thought it though, because it was kind of rarity. But people at school who'd found out did. Right. And how did you deal with those particular people? Did you just move away from them, or just had to ignore them? Right. It was school. Couldn't get out of school. Had to go to school. Yeah. That's awful, that actually, because it's quite an interesting point, yeah. the fact that you're kind of stuck in that environment, isn't it? There's only so much distancing you can do with yeah. school. So, obviously, you talked about, you know, as you, you go through these things, um, it gets to a point where, you know, now you can talk to more people about it, you can get help, but there's also, because of the fact that everyone is talking about it, we're now putting these quite big labels on day-to-day -day anxiety, mm -hmm. like having your exams, feeling sad because you've split up with a partner. Um, and we never, I've had this conversation with several people now, and it's always that worry about, I think it was Tom said, um, you've maybe just trivialized some people's issues. Mm -hmm. And that was never my intention, but it was more of a, there has to be some sort of line drawn where you think, you know, it is it is a part of life and everyone has to go through it. So we have to have something in place to teach people, whether it's from the parents or teachers, to teach some sort of resilience to actually get through day-to-day -day things. And that it's actually, I was talking to Ross about it, it's okay to be okay. Because I know there was yeah. the whole it's okay not to be okay, and that was great because it's got people talking and people are still talking. But similarly, now I feel like it needs to be said, it's okay to be okay. It's okay to feel a little bit of anxiety or upset because you've come out of a relationship or confused because you're not quite sure where you're at at the moment, but it's actually all right to just be okay with that. Yeah, I think as well, like you've got to remember, and that's what I, one of the things I try to tell myself is, you can't experience any good if you've not experienced any bad. Right. Because how would you contrast those feelings mm -hmm. and those experiences? Mm -hmm. Should you feel now that you see more good in things because of what you've been through? Yeah, so I, like if I like experience like a presentation, for example, like if I've experienced like a good presentation, I'm like, oh, I aced that. Whereas another one, I'll be like, oh, I'm so nervous and that was shit. Mm -hmm. like, you know, because. Mm -hmm experienced those two separate mm -hmm. things so you know like you've built up a benchmark of what mm -hmm. bad is and what good is mm -hmm. and obviously everyone's line for the benchmarks very different yeah but it's your personal line of what's good and what's bad but do you feel the same sort of do you feel the same positive negative split with with the extremities, obviously, to have gone from a position where you, you know, you try to end your life. Do you feel that same sort of extremity on a positive side? Like, look at my life now. Yeah. Look at where I am in my life, my job, when I'm able to achieve in the gym, you know, overcoming things like, you know, you're an amputee and not letting anything hold you back in that sense. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, I think like 
I think if I had gone back to the person I was then and said, this is what it's going to be, mm-hmm. she wouldn't have believed me. Right. She wouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. It was going to get better. Mm-hmm. But now looking back, so then it is like a lesson to be like, it does get better. Mm-hmm. Like, look where you've come from. Do you feel like it's got better because you went through that and tried to do that? I don't know. I don't know whether it would have just got better. Mm-hmm. But you don't know, do you? Like, life's uncertain, so you don't ever know. It is. It's quite what? scary. I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm not saying to anyone, you know, you, you try and do that because then it's going to get better from there. Like, absolutely not. But it's... It, it's just a thought process in my head of if you get to that point, does it then make things get better? Because it's a, a it must have been and it must be to people a massive reality check of fuck me, like this is the situation I'm in. Like absolute rock bottom oh, yeah. nowhere to go in your head than that way. To think, right, well, I can I need to do something now to change it because that can't stay like this. I can't. Physically can't. Yeah. I think, like, when I've had moments like that, um, as well, like, after that, like, it's been like, this can't stay like this. Mm-hmm. Like, so you'll ride something out for a few months and then, like, mm-hmm. if it's not getting better, you'd be like, this can't stay like this. Something needs to change. So I make the change. Mm-hmm. And I do something. So you're actually proactively uh-huh. changing the course of your life because you know that you can't stay. I think it's that, that saying, you've got to if the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change, because a lot of people don't like change, do they? It's, it's a human trait that we've all got. People generally don't like change. Um, if the pain of staying the same is worse, then you have to physically do something. And that's the point at which you will physically do something because it means your life's going to improve from there. Excellent. So I'm going to end up on one question because I know you're conscious of time. Um, if you were to get rid of any label, any label um, in the world and it would be gone and vanished, what would it be and why? I think probably the disabled label, you know, because I think it puts the mindset of not necessarily me, but other people that they can't do things. Mm-hmm. You can. You just have to find your way of doing it. Brilliant. So, like, um, never going to have the heaviest squat in the gym, but I can squat. Mm-hmm. So that's a positive. Yeah, so if you were totally to get rid of it, then people wouldn't have it as a label that would then hold them back from yeah. anything. they give everything a go. But then how would you jump the queues at the airport? <laughs> <laughs> as you admitted you yeah, do, <laughs> the one time you use it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to think got, of something else. Got your benefits covered. <laughs> <laughs> I have benefits one leg. Like I only have to wear one sock. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Less washing. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think that's a good note to finish on. Um, thank you very much for your time, Melissa. No problem. I've okay. enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you.